Uh, we're in a series right now, and it's on uh, the faith lifestyle. What does the Christian faith lifestyle look like? And what I'd like to do is differentiate or contrast the reality that there is a cultural Christianity in our country, and then there is a Christian lifestyle. So cultural Christianity looks something like this. I was, I was born into the church. I, um, now, I, I'm, I'm really behaving myself these days, and I'm not making fun of other denominations or other religions. This is something that, that I'm really focusing on. But I do need to say this, and I'm not picking, out, I'm not picking on any denomination, but you'll, some of you will immediately, your mind will immediately go somewhere. Um, but this one applies to the Protestant denominations too because they do it too. And maybe we even have some expression of it. But just because you were christened as an infant, that doesn't make you a Christian. It means that you have been, you have been identified as part of a cultural entity. Now, let's just, let's just push it into the, the Protestant realm or to our expression of faith. Just because mom and dad made you get baptized when you were junior higher and you went, you went in kicking and screaming, that doesn't mean that you are a Christian. So that's kind of the bad news, right? It's just not, it just, you just can't be born into this. You just can't have it tacked on to you. It is, it's a relationship. Well, here's the good news if you're, a Christian, if you're christened or if you're forced to be baptized or something. Here's the good news. The good news is, is that you have parents that laid a spiritual foundation and they sowed seed into you. And the word of God says that my word does not return void. So they spoke life. They declared, like we do baby dedications. I, love, I haven't done a baby dedication in a while. It's about time I do one. I got one coming up soon, I think. But we do, do we do baby dedications for that purpose. It's not saying, you know, now this, this baby's a Christian. No, it says, no, we as a body, as a family of believers, we are holding this, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna take care of this kid. We're going to hold this kid accountable. We're going to, as a church, we're going to pray for each other. So this is, this is the desire of our hearts. But I learned when I was in the South, there is such a thing as cultural Christianity. It is religious, and God doesn't like it. So what does a real Christian look like? What do we do? How do we behave? What are our tendencies? And, and uh, well, let's, last week I touched on morality a little bit. You know, in order to be a Christian, you have to be, you have to have some moral framework, right? You have to have some type of a moral compass, you can't say that you're a Christian and, you know, be okay with sleeping around or be okay with just, you know, pornography or be okay with trashy romance novels. You see what I did there? I got both, both, both sexes right there, <laughs> right? Um, you know, you can't live a drunkard lifestyle. This is common sense, Right? So just, you just can't do it. I mean, but there's other cultural things that, 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 that we need to decide. My grandparents came out of the holiness movement. Uh, it, holiness movement in our country, was, it's, it's been a series of revivals. It actually started at the foundation of our country. Does anybody, uh, anybody, okay, young people, have you heard of the Great Awakening? We've had a couple of Great Awakening folks. Anybody else heard of the Great Awakening? Yeah, we've got a few of them. Okay, good. Um, 
because they don't really necessarily teach the Great Awakening in history class, but it completely changed our country. And that was around the time of the Revolutionary War, and then the Civil War took place, and there was a second Great Awakening right after the Civil War all the way up into the 19th century. And then in the 19th century, and this is part of our heritage, in Los Angeles there was what we call the Azusa Street Revival, and out of the Azusa Street Revival, again, it's all kind of connected, but there's this holiness lifestyle that took place. And so for my grandparents... The holiness lifestyle, you're not going to like this, but the holiness lifestyle meant that you don't go to the movies. That she, and that wasn't necessarily my tradition, but like ladies had to wear dresses all the way down to the ground, and your hair had to be up in a bun. And it's like, what? I remember when I was a boy, and I found out that my grandfather didn't watch movies because they were sinful. I was like, you're kidding me. You haven't seen Star Wars? What's the matter with you? And I don't know. My grandparents were, were cool because they just, you know, they, I don't know if they accepted it, but they never really guilted us in, into that whole thing. So for whatever reason, it was important to them. But what are we to do? What is our lifestyle? What is our moral standard as Christians? And some of them are very black and white in the scriptures. I think you need to read the book. Uh, some of them are negotiable, some of them are non-negotiable. And uh, so we need to look into that. But what does Jesus say? Hmm? What does Jesus say about what identifies us as Christians? What makes us little Christ? One of the terms that I really think that we need to take back in our in our expression of faith is the title, is the identity as Christian. Uh, In the media, in the press, Christian has got such a bad rap. To be a Christian almost means you take on a negative connotation. And Christian leaders have even distanced themselves from that title. And they say, well, I'd rather not call myself a Christian because we got so much bad PR. I would rather call myself a follower of Christ. That makes sense, right? And all of us say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. And that's true, but in my mind, that's phase one. Because when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we begin to live in the, 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 the parameters of his grace, not the parameters of rules, by the way. Grace is actually harder than rules, unfortunately. Once we begin to follow Christ, it's like he's the boss of our life, right? Like God wants to be, he wants to be in control of your life. It gets even better than that. He actually wants to partner with you, right? That's how cool our God is. He doesn't just want to just boss you around. He wants to partner with you. He, he wants to do things together. But see, here's the amazing thing about our God. He doesn't Yes, he wants us to follow him, but he actually wants us to become like him. That's why this term Christian is so important to me. The very first time that it was mentioned is in the book of Acts, the church of Antioch. They said, these guys, they all came out of, the, they all came out of Pentecost. They all came out of that experience of the Holy Spirit. These were mostly Gentile believers. They were on fire for God. They were driving the city nuts. 
everybody was annoyed by them. I think it might be your destiny to annoy somebody with some goodness every once in a while. To annoy them with the, with the gospel message of that, that there's, there's hope for you. To be happy. And so these, this group of, of believers, they, were, they began to call them Christians in a derogatory way, meaning that they're acting like little Jesuses. They're little Christ. That's what the term Christian means, little Christ. And that is our identity. The Bible's full of it. The Bible says that we are to become like God. We're not to become God. Don't, don't, get, me, don't get us confused with the cult here. But we are to act like God. Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God. You imitate God. You're supposed to know what to do. You want to know what the Christian lifestyle is? Imitate God and live a life of love. That's what Ephesians 5 says. So we are to be little Christ, not just followers, not just rule obeyers, but little Christ, doing what Jesus did, acting like he does. And how do we do it? How do we access that? This is a good place to start, right? You, you can start with the word of God. The word of God's gonna tell you the, the nature and the character of the Trinity, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Like, I really feel like I know Jesus. Like, I understand his personality, and I understand his character. I, I know him. I, I've read about him, but I've also had this word revealed to me through the Holy Spirit. Like, I want to encourage you right now. Like, when you read the word of God, read it with the Holy Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit be your interpreter. Have him be your Google. There's everything that you need to solve all of life's problems inside of this book, but it's very hard to navigate sometimes. And so you need to invite the Holy Spirit into your Bible study. Amen. You need to, like even right now, like even in this message, let's not stop worshiping. Do you know that you can actually worship in this moment, in this place? At Westmont, I got a lot of knowledge, and it was amazing. But it's not necessarily wisdom. Wisdom is from above. Knowledge is something completely different. When you read the book, read it and look for wisdom. Don't look for knowledge. Don't look for information. Don't look for an information dump. Even when you come to church, do you want to come to church and just have me dump some knowledge on you? Is that going to change your life? Is that going to quicken your spirit? You need to come in with an open spirit and saying, God, I need fresh revelation for what you're doing now. What word do you have for me now, God? This isn't an educational class. This is a worship service. The worship team, they're not my warm-up band. <laughs> huh? This isn't about the lesson. This is about worship. And when we, when we worship, look, it's, it's my job as a pastor to, to encourage you to be better worshipers. It's a religion to encourage you to be legalistic Bible thumpers. There's a difference. It is my job as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to open your minds and your hearts and your spirit to, to where God is and what he's doing. 
Not to make sure that you, that you understand proper eschatology. Now, of course, theology is important, it's crucial, it's vital, but it was completely useless if, there, if, it's not, if you don't see God in the whole thing. Worship is required for a supernatural lifestyle. Worship is required from hearing God. Worship is required to being blessed by God. You need, uh, where do you need to be blessed? Where do you need to be encouraged? Where do you need to see God move in your life? Now just think about it for a second. Well, what is it? Is it a relationship issue? Okay, how do you push that strained relationship? Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's kids, maybe it's in-laws, maybe it's work, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your employees, that tense situation where you can feel the tension in the room, how do you push that, that problem into heaven? Guess what happens when you push your problems into heaven? They go away. <laughs> they get defeated. They've lost. And that can only happen for when we adjust our hearts to an area of worship. God, I don't know what's going on in this crazy relationship. It's complicated, but I'm going to worship you regardless. And things will change. Things will shift. It comes when you're on the floor. It comes when you, when you surrender everything to him. All right, let's talk about finances. What do you, how do you get blessed in your finances? How many people need to be blessed in your finances? And I don't want to talk about tithing, but it's in the book, folks. The answer's in the book. The reason why Mrs. Kerr didn't lose a single jar in an earthquake and a fire is because she learned the secret of tithing. She put God's mark on her finances, and she was blessed. Not only was she not only did she survive an earthquake, she prospered in an earthquake. And so as Christians, as somebody that your identity is changed, you're realizing that the biggest crime in the world is identity theft, and your identity is coming back and who Jesus has called you to be. As a Christian, things should be different, but it requires a perception and you have to see it. You have to see where God's at. And I think the only way that we can really see where God's at is by proper worship. One of the guys that I want to talk about, the story that I want to tell, is, is Elisha, who was a worshiper. He was a prophet. He, he dedicated his life to a lifestyle of worshiping God. And in the midst of an impossible situation, you get your Bibles, we're going to look at... Uh, is 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. He's in an impossible situation. Elijah is a worshiper who has annoyed his community with love. He is a man that externally has been able to hear from God. All of all of the encounters in the Old Testament are all external counters, encounters where God comes down and he meets his people and their lives are changed. And so Elijah had this ability to step into a divine encounter through accessing heaven through worship and God came down and met him and met his needs. 
And the world, the powers of this age, they didn't like what was going on, and they, they, they put a hit out on it. They're going to kill him. And so this is what happens. He's got a Padawan learner. He's got this uh, Padawan learner, Star Wars reference, yes. So he's got, a, he's got an apprentice. So he's training somebody up to do what he does. The army has surrounded his city. The guys that don't like what he's saying, they're going to kill him. It is the Aram, Aramean army. So there's an entire, it's not just a death squad, it's an entire army that's going to kill two men. Some crazy old guy and some idealistic student. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do, said the servant. Immediate response to an impossible situation, the servant responds with fear. What am I going to, what are we going to do? They're going to get us. They're going to kill us. We're going to lose. How are we going to survive this? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is the truth that we've got to get into our, into our heads. Maybe we need to first start thinking about it first. And then we need to realize that it is truth in our hearts first. We have more on our side than they do. Like, we have the enemy of God outnumbered. You turn the news on, it might not seem like it. But the truth of the matter is that the reality, the spiritual reality is we have the enemy of God outnumbered. Just think about the good guy and the bad guy. The devil is a created being. He has a lot of power. He has a lot of influence. But he's one entity that can only be at one place at one time. Our God can be anywhere at the same time. Our good guy is in three persons. Father, God, who is omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful. He created the bad guy, and there's nothing he can't do. He's got the, the bad guy outnumbered. Holy Spirit, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We've got him too, who leads us, guides us, tells us what to do, comforts us. In our time of need, in our time of mourning, Holy Spirit's there. We get peace that transcends all understanding. That's on our side. And Jesus, oh my goodness, Jesus is on our side. And they are all inside of you and of me. And where Elisha gets this victory, did I, I didn't finish it, did I? No, I'm going to finish the scripture. Okay, so the Padawan learner's vision for this thing is we're outnumbered, we're going to lose, we're going to die. It's like Scotty from Star Trek. You know, it's, everything's negative. The ship's going to blow up, Captain. And Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. 
And this, is, this, is, this has got to be the prayer for you. This has got to be the prayer for your kids. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we can see what's going on in the spiritual realms. Because what's going on in this realm, do you ever feel like this isn't real sometimes? <laughs> is that just me? I know, it's, I know the chair is real. I know that there's a physical stuff going on. But sometimes it doesn't feel like this is the real world here. I really get it when I see a dead body. Whenever I do a funeral or I go to a, you know, the hospital or something like that, and I see a dead body, I'm like, that's not right. I, can't under- I don't understand it. I can't describe it. But I know that that's not God's will. That this, like, this death thing, that's just not God's will. And that's true. I believe that's true across the board. You guys feel that too? When you see a dead body and it doesn't seem right? Yeah, it's, sorry for that. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see them. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked up, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of what? Uh, Chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the enemy came down towards him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. Who's partnering with God here? This is really cool. Is God bossing Elisha around? No. Is Elisha bossing God around? Not necessarily. They are in partnership together. They are in agreement with God. They are in agreement together. Elisha's figured out this secret of tapping into God's will. And it doesn't feel like bondage. It feels like freedom. So he struck them with blindness in Elisha, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you around to a man that you're looking for. And so he led them to Samaria. What the heck is going on here? This is kind of weird, right? So he strikes them blind. He says, oh, you're not looking for me. It's like, again, it's another Star Wars reference. These aren't the robots you're looking for. The droids, excuse me. Um, this is, we, we can't see it. Doesn't, we don't think it's funny. But this is biblical humor. This is, a, this is another principle. This is a secret to a Christian lifestyle that I think that we need to get today. And in an overcoming spirit, when you overcome difficult circumstances, there is a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a step that we usually miss. Elisha gets victory. He opens up his, his students' eyes. They see that there's something going on in the spiritual realm. They, they recognize that the enemy of God is outnumbered. And that is true, by the way. How many angels fell with Satan? One-third. So how many do we have on our side? Two-thirds. And we have the creator of all the universe on our side. We have him outnumbered. Elijah leads his enemies around in blindness. He says, you're not looking for me, you're looking for that other droid. He's, he's making fun of them. Like there's no biblical principle to learn here with the exception of mocking the devil. And this is what David learned. Who's the greatest worshiper in the Bible? David, right? The greatest Psalms. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no evil. Uh, he makes a place for me. He make, I sit at his table and he prepares a place for me in the presence of my enemies so that I can eat in front of him and make fun of him, right? I think that's kind of cool. So he's literally making fun of the devil. Not only should we 
when we overcome a situation, when we have breakthrough, when we have an answered prayer, I, I'm afraid to say this. I have, to, I have to admit to you that there's been times recently where I have answered prayer and I forgot to thank God for it. After my surgery in August, I began to heal up nicely. I was like, okay, the, this thing worked. The pain went away. And I could feel my body getting stronger. I could feel, you know, just, just, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I have relief. I got off the narcotics. It wasn't easy. But something happened after the surgery. I don't know if it was the anesthesia or whatever, but my, my ears began ringing right after the surgery. And I had a constant bell in my head, constant ringing, until December. And I, I prayed for it, and I asked you guys to pray for it. I had the best healers in our, in our congregation pray for me, and it's nothing. It happens. I don't understand it, right? Whatever. I didn't get healed. Maybe next time. It's okay. And so uh, it was at uh, Christmas outside when we were out in the bleachers. I'm like, God spoke to me. Uh, by the way, uh, intercessory prayer group is all on point. Whenever I give words of knowledge, they usually come out of that room, and they're all on point right now. That's exciting stuff. Um, anyway, so I had this word of knowledge, and it was like, it's like Jesus talking to me. It's just like, whatever. Um, and he's like, do you want to be healed of that, that, that ringing in your ears? I'm like, yes. He's like, then pray for somebody that has the same thing. All right? There's no script. There's no formula for God, unfortunately. He does whatever he wants to do. I'm like, okay. And so I gave a word of knowledge out there in the bleachers. Okay, does anybody have the ringing in their ears? God wants to heal you today. And nothing happened. A week later, I get an email testimony, and it was like, that was me. And, like, you know, you told me to put our hands on our ears, and, and then it, it went away. And that other stuff that I was dealing with, that emotional stuff, it, it went away. Wow. I'm like, cool. And then I'm thinking to myself, my ringing's gone. In fact, I haven't had ringing in over a week. And I didn't notice it. I didn't notice that God blessed me. And I didn't give thanks for God's blessing. And he says, now you need to make fun of the devil. You need to give thanks, and you need to make fun of the devil. Okay, so uh, what does Jesus do to the devil? Where does the snake end up? Where does the snake end up? Under his feet. This is, and what are we? Are we followers of Christ? Yes. But what else are we? We are Christians. We are little Christ. We are to be imitators of God. That means that we too have the position of having the devil's neck under our heel. Is it the what, what about the relationship thing? And then the relationship issue, that, that struggle, that tension, that elephant in the room, you're gonna get victory over that. And when you do, you thank God and then you humiliate the devil. You say, How dare you? How dare you do this to me? And the next time you do it, I'm going to make fun of you again. Because this is what the Word of God says to do. Isn't that fun? 
You see, what we're doing, what I'm trying to convince you to do, is you just know you need to get out of this survival mentality. Do you want to just continue to survive the fires, to survive the earthquake, to survive the divorce, to, to survive the sickness, to survive financially? Do you want to be in survival mode or do you want to be in victory mode? Do you want to be in, uh, in just like getting by mode or overcoming mode? And so when we're presented with a difficult problem, our initial, our carnal reactions, like I got to survive this. And what God's telling you today, saying, open up your eyes. You're not just going to survive this. It's going to become your ministry. Huh? It's going to become your ministry. He's setting you up. He's preparing you for something greater. He's, he's training you. See your problem as a training exercise. Look, you know, I want you to be good moral Christians. Quit sleeping around, quit doing drugs, quit looking at porn. Okay, this, right? Stop it. Just stop. Stop that stuff. It's not good. It's not healthy. Quit lying, quit cheating, quit stealing. Everybody knows you should not do it anyway. But what does Jesus tell us? What is the lifestyle? What is the faith lifestyle? You think that that's awkward? Just wait until you hear what Jesus says. <laughs> Some of the hardest scripture, the most, oh, why did he say that? Why did he write that? The most annoying scripture in the world. We're going to read it today. Are you ready? Look, this is going to make you feel so, this is going to challenge you, not make you feel uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable or you want to be challenged? Let's be challenged. Okay. John chapter 14. Verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles. Jesus is saying, um, um, I'm God. That's what Jesus is saying right now. It's like, what? They didn't like what he was saying either. Jesus is saying, I'm God. Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Uh, Jesus goes on to say that you are in me and I'm in you. John chapter 14, verse 11. I can hear you turning. That's music to my ears. I can hear pages turning, not buttons scrolling. All right, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have done. That's it right there. Faith lifestyle. Faith lifestyle is to do what Jesus did. Isn't that cool? So just get the... Get the red letters out. Do you want to know what the lifestyle is? Is read what Jesus did and do what Jesus did. Well, that's not my personality. Guess what? He doesn't care. He's out to change your personality. He can, too. There's parts of your personality that are amazing, that he's created, that they're going to serve the church, they're going to serve your community, they're going to serve your family. But there's other parts of your, your personality that just need to go away. You just need to bury it because it's not healthy. And it's not your identity. Actually, it was stolen. So he who has faith will do the things that I did. Okay, that's kind of cool, right? And so we are to, what does that mean? Well, okay, we pray for sick people. Okay, maybe, you know, we, we do the Beatitudes. Or, you know, instead of me trying just to be perfect, okay, how do I do what Jesus did in serving others? Because that's what he does, right? Like, it's amazing 
how Jesus served others, not just his agenda or his program or whatever he was doing at the time. No, he, he was intentional about serving others. Jesus also, and he is God, by the way, I noticed lately, and maybe this is speaking to me directly, but he took some breaks. Like he got away with the Lord quite often. There was a rhythm, there was a pattern to his lifestyle that was absolutely amazing. Okay, so here's the part that's annoying. In a way. But then in another aspect, it's the coolest thing in the world. It proves to me that God is on our side and that he's amazing and that he's a good father. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He, slash she, will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Do you know that your calling, your destiny, your purpose as an individual and as the church, God's desire, Jesus' desire for you is that you actually outdo him? What? He says, no, my vision for my kids, see, this is how we know he's a good father. My vision for my kids is that they will do greater things than I did. And only a, only a loving father will do some, and say something like that. Insecure fathers don't want their kids to outdo them. But a loving father will want their kids to supersede them, to, be, to rise above their level. Look, I want my daughter to be better than me. I want her to step into higher levels of victory. I want her to be more influential than I ever was. And we should, deep down, we, want that, we should all want that for our kids. And God wants that for you. He, like, there's a better version of you, and he's got the blueprints for it. All right. You see how that one's a tough one, right? Like, what? I'm supposed to, be, I'm supposed to do greater things than Jesus? That's impossible. But it's not. All things are possible. And if you look what Paul did, and if you look what, what all these revival churches did, if you hear the stories... Some of the stories are pretty amazing. I mean, within this own church, there's been a dead body raised, among other miracles. So Jesus and us were one on one, right? No, he raised a bunch of people, didn't he? Never mind. Okay, we got, we got a ways to go to catch up to him, but that, we'll do it. All right, now here's the other verse that's even more fun. All right, what's the Christian lifestyle? What's it mean to be a Christian? Mark. Chapter 16, verse 15. Okay, we know this. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is a great commandment, great commission. This is what we are to do as, as Christians, as the church. We are to preach the good news, right? All churches will, uh, will, will, will read this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Right? But this is where a lot of churches stop reading. They stop reading because it's uncomfortable. They stop reading because it seems impossible. They stop reading because it, it, it messes with their, their comfort levels, right? This is, <laughs> this is tough. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. I got a basket of snakes in the back. I'm bring those out in a second. They will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Um, 
you know what I did when I was studying for this? I Googled, what is Christian behavior? What's Christian lifestyle? What's a faith lifestyle? I Googled it. I got bazillion scriptures. That one's not in there. Do it. It's very strange. Who says this? Jesus says it. It's in the red. It's our commission. It's what we are to do. Are we all supposed to raise the dead? I think we should at least try. We are to have, here's a fancy word, we are to have dominion over this world. Jesus has made it. He, he wants us to expand. He wants us to take territory. The whole Bible is about taking territory. The whole theme of the Old Testament is about taking land, expanding, becoming a bigger influence, changing the world, being a blessing to what, just Israel? No, being a blessing to all nations. The people of God are to be a blessing to all nations. He has designed you and wired you to be influential, like Mrs. Kerr. He has designed you and wired you to take territory, both spiritual territory and physical land. Some of you need to break out of this mindset that I'm always going to be a minimum wage worker. I'm always going to just be, you know, in, stuck in this system, stuck in this rat race. Now that the, there's something shifting in the atmosphere, now is the time. There's an opportunity to break out. And you, those that 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 are bold, those that are courageous, those that say, you know what, I want to own my own house someday. This is the time to begin to lay down that foundation. And you do it by inviting God in the process and not being so selfish. You do it because you want to advance God's kingdom. You want to advance this family. It's not just because you want it. It's because, you know, it, it's God's will. You see it. You see the angel armies on the hill, the chariots of fire. You have a fresh vision of your life. It's happening now. You know, I want you guys to pay attention to it. Things are shifting in the spiritual realm. Those that see it are going to prosper. And I want to encourage you that that just might be you this week. What's he called you to do? You going to cast out a demon this week? Yeah. Maybe. You can at least shake off a negative attitude, a negative spirit that's inflicting your relationship, and you could say no more to that. Yeah, no more to that emotion because there's something spiritual about it and something, and I recognize it. I'm going to call it out, and it's gonna, I'm going to tell it to go away. I'm going to give thanks to God, and then I'm going to make fun of the devil for it. Isn't that fun? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's, we're going to do part two, and I'm going to tonight, and it's going to be on um, overcoming. And we're to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. So how do you worship God with your body? And it sounds kind of strange, but like he's a real God. He's tangible. And so we're going to go after that tonight, worshiping God with our body. That might sound weird, but it, I don't know. I think that's what God wants me to talk about. So, um, but I, I want to, we're going to go into a time of prayer right now because we are called to be a praying church. And uh, we're going to pray for your specific needs. I'll, I'll pray for you where you're sitting. Uh, if you need that, you know, if that word is for you specifically, like you're thinking about getting out of the apartment and buying a home, uh, our ministry team is going to be ready to go right now. So I want to invite our ministry team to go in the back, and we're just going to go after the things of God 
in that area of taking land. I know that seems kind of strange, but God wants you to do it. And then I want to encourage you, okay, maybe there's territory that, you, that God wants you to take. He wants you to be an overcomer. He's pushed you into uh, a... Di- <laughs> Maybe some of you, God's pushed you into a difficult situation to train you up for your ministry. Well, Josh, you just don't know what's going on with me and my wife right now. Well, maybe God does. And maybe you have a marriage ministry call in your life. So don't be a victim. Be an overcomer in this situation. You'll have a testimony on the other side of this. And then, again, God's a God, he's a God of miracles. If you need a touch, a physical touch in your body, if you need uh, that mark of God on your finances, uh, and you're just hurting right now and you're lost, uh, we have prayer partners in the back that would love just to connect with you in prayer and, and make it a, a monument to the Lord. Okay, this day we prayed for this issue, and then a month from now you're going to have victory and you're going to be able to give glory to God, and it's going to happen today in this room. So let's pray. Um, God, right now, we pray that you would come, that we we would realize that we are serving a God that overcame the world. Jesus says, don't fear, little ones. I have overcome the world. And beloved, that God lives inside of you. You have an overcomer that lives inside of you. Each and every situation, you have an overcoming spirit that can defeat any negative situation in your life. And maybe you, some of you are being called into, maybe you're frustrated because God's called you into higher levels of influence and you've been too afraid to move forward. You've been too afraid to go up to the next level. And the reason why that you're, you're frustrated and you're annoyed is because you, didn't, you, hadn't, you haven't stepped up yet. And uh, you've, got a, you've got a call in your life to be a Mrs. Kerr. And you're, just, you're, you're too afraid to put your trust in God in that situation. So God, right now, I just pray that you strengthen us up. God, I pray right now that you give us the ability to see where you're at and move in miraculous ways. Thank you so much for giving us the, the opportunity to make fun of the devil. We love you, Lord. Amen. So we're going to invite you to stand right now as we sing. And again, just reiterating what Pastor Josh said. You're welcome um, to join us. We have a ministry team ready in the back to pray with you for whatever need is going on in your life. And um, we really want to make that time special. That's why we do it every week. So if you have anything, it can be small, it can be big. We have people ready to love and to pray with you.